Welcome to the Tech Savvy Professor podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Perry here with my co-host, Dr. Marty Jensius. Marty, you want to say hello? Hi, Eric. Um, it's good to be back and it's good to be talking tech, which probably is something that people have been doing for at least the definitely been thrown into for the last eight months or so. So we thought it would be fun to start this back up again and give folks tech tips from an academic standpoint along the way. Yeah, and I mean, this has really spawned a, a lot of questions um, as everyone looks to navigate teaching online and, and Zoom meetings and the requirements that, that we have for our computers are a lot higher than they were at one point. So I know I've received a lot of questions around how do I make my Zoom meetings run better or my computer doesn't seem to run them as well as they used to. Uh, and there's some things that you can do and we can talk about some of those things. Um, and some things that we can look at to help improve performance and and just gauge where your machine is at and potentially where your network is at. Yeah, I think there's um, the things that I'm hearing from, I'm hearing more from students than I do from faculty. And students are, you're in a classroom and you're doing it, uh, you know, via Zoom or Teams or whatever. And there's always one or two students that have difficulty connecting or staying connected. And there's a variety of factors that go into that. Internet speed, quality of their computer, um, what platform they're working with. Um, you know, we have some students who come in on, on smartphones, some folks who come in on Chromebooks, some folks who come in on tablets, and, and with varying bandwidth in terms of the Wi-Fi they have access to in their community. So it's a, it's a hard problem to solve because the parts keep changing with uh, each person that has a question about it. So what are some of the things that you think and that you can share about Wi-Fi and what consumers, students, faculty can do uh, in terms of their Wi-Fi? So my position is, is primarily online. I, I teach... Uh, the majority of my courses online, both synchronously and asynchronously. And I always have my students start with a speed test to take a look at how their network is doing and whether or not it's going to support whatever software we're using. So for example, if we're using Zoom, I'll send out the minimum requirements that Zoom lists uh, on their website. And I use a site called speedtest.net so that they can test their ping, their downloads and upload speeds. Uh, these three things will tell you whether or not you meet those minimum requirements. And there's a couple of different services out there. So I have them run that test to see where they're at just as a starting point to see if they can add a baseline, their network can support it. If they can't, we're going to start to look at uh, what they can do about their network, whether or not they can increase their speed, uh, whether it's a you know bandwidth issue, something they, they, they need to uh, buy in terms of their network or their router. Uh, and then even channel options with their routers. Some uh, of the newer routers have two or three channels that, you're, uh, that you can connect to, 2.4 being an older one, uh, 5.0 being kind of a newer, uh, faster channel uh, in most cases. Um, depending on your device, whether or not it's, it's new enough to support that, that 5.0 connection can help. And as I said before, my uh, solution to all problems is just buy new equipment. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, have to, I say that tongue in cheek, but um, not so much uh, the case is, is upgrading your equipment will do a lot. But again, in this time, students and faculty don't have the uh, money to be able to do that easily. 
It's costly in a lot of ways to to make these corrections. So uh, it, it seems like a simple solution to me because I I'm a technophile and I like to have the latest stuff. But for most folks, they won't be able to or can't um, upgrade their system. So what kinds of things can we do uh, to encourage them to get the best out of what they got? So in addition to looking at how fast your computer can run on a network or how fast your network speed is, there's a lot of things on your computer or even your mobile device that can weigh down your speed. And a lot of times we think about how much memory we're using up. And that's true in a couple of different cases. It's how much memory are we using right now, currently, your RAM, right? That working memory that keeps everything going in the background, uh, as well as what you're storing on your computer. So there's a, a couple of different services, and uh, Marty and I have, have a few that, that we've talked about and we've used. Uh, I've used CCleaner. It's, it's a pretty old software, um, just in terms of being around for a while. But they've since expanded to uh, PC, Windows, Mac. Uh, you can download the app on your Android phone, uh, on your iPhone, and it helps look at some of those things that you don't use as much, uh, take off some of the programs or components that, that maybe aren't in use, some old drivers and things like that, and to look at your, your processing speed. How much of my RAM am I using? So you may need to clean off things like cookies, things like temporary files, that just tend to hang around and bog your system down. So I like CCleaner. Marty, you, you and I had talked a little bit earlier and you'd mentioned another one that you liked. Yeah, I'm from the Mac perspective. I use Clean My Mac. And I've had, you know, I've had maybe 100 people say this is great. And then I've had two people say, oh, you're not supposed to use that. Um, and, and I had a problem one time and uh, I called tech support and they told me to take it off. I haven't had any problem with it. And it's what I like about it is it's a very simple interface. You don't have to know a lot about your computer and what all these different things mean to clean it. It's a one button push. Um, you open the program up. There are some default settings that are already in there and you can push and do just a quick scan and clean and it will remove a lot of junk, um, uh, gigabytes worth of junk um, that's on there. There's some deep cleaning stuff that you can do if you want to. You can search for larger files. And I'll do that occasionally and find out that I have a copy of a movie or some video that I created that I don't need anymore because I've stored it off. It doesn't need to be on my computer. And that helps free up a lot of space too. It will also clear your RAM and clear your caches. So those kinds of things. um, Sometimes I notice with computers, I start to slow down the more work I'm doing on it because my, ma- my RAM has been dedicated around to a bunch of little programs that are running at the same time. This will clear that up uh, very quickly and will kind of free up my speed on my computer. So Clean My Mac is one that I recommend. Be careful because there's a lot of programs out there, and I, I don't want to necessarily speak disparagingly about it, but Mac Keeper is uh, one that is always at the top of the searches and pops up. And that program seems to notoriously put a lot of junk on your computer. It causes problems, whether it's, you know, how it's collecting data. There's been plenty of warnings about that. Um, And I've had it, you know, sort of stall out my computer. So um, Macs supposedly, notoriously, don't need to do all this stuff. Its system, its operating system does it without you needing to put a a program in to do it. Um, 
viruses are another thing too that, you know, we'll talk about that at another time. But um, in terms of all this uh, maintenance of the system, it's supposedly done automatically. I still like having a product that I can push a button and, and clean material off of and, and help with the lag that might be going on with my computer. So um, yeah, clean my, clean my Mac is the one that I've been using. You, know, you made me think of something too, Marty, is that my kids right now are using Chromebooks, right? Those are intended for lightweight types of, of jobs. They're not multitasking computers, right? They're, they're meant to really do one thing at a time to be lightweight. They don't have a whole lot of power, a whole lot of storage space. So, you know, you, it, it's intended to do one thing at a time. The more things that you have going on a MacBook, uh, not a MacBook, I apologize, a Chromebook, the slower it's going to go. And, you know, the Google operating system is nice. Um, it's really clean. It's really user-friendly. Uh, but it will kind of hide things from you in the background. Uh, I've noticed my kids have had, uh, you know, Roblox or, you know, some other computer program or game up in the background. Um, and, and they're not really aware that it's there. So really, even just being attentive to what's running on your machine at the moment can, can have a big impact. This is really crucial, too, for mobile users. So I've had a, a lot of students try to attend meetings by mobile, which is totally fine. Some of these, um, Adobe Connect being one, uh, has a really nice mobile user experience. You know, Zoom is really clean on mobile, uh, but you need to be attentive to what you have going on on your phone. And similarly, you don't always know what's running in the background. So having an app that's going to you know, both monitor that for you and just being knowledgeable uh, before you jump on a call about getting those things closed out can be really helpful as well. Yeah, that was going to be my first recommendation before running a cleaner. I mean, I I now buy computers that and upgrade my computers, which is with as much speed and as much RAM that I can get out of it at the time I'll put in. But I mean, I look across my menu bar and I've got Zoom running. I have VLC running. I have Twitter running. I have uh, a uh, a file organizer running, weather uh, meter, uh, a link to my Google Drive, um, malware bytes to do. I've got a bunch of stuff running in the background, and I forget about it, and then many students forget about it, or faculty forget about it, and then they get into a, a high use moment, which is often what online teaching is, and things kind of kind of log jam up. So if you see that happening, one of the first things you can do is shut down all that stuff running in the background, and that might be one way of helping your situation. My next point, Marty, was really just to talk about a test call. It sounds silly, you know, especially if you've used services like this before, but don't underplay the usefulness of a test call. So things like Zoom have a, a test room that you can use to make sure that your system meets requirements. It'll check for you. Uh, and then running a test session with your class, just, you know, dedicating some time, 15, 20, 30 minutes to resolving your tech issues. Uh, you don't have that cut into your instructional time. Don't have it cut into the, the time that you need synchronously with your students. Uh, because it, inevitably, meeting with a class for a 10-week term, at my first 40 minutes are sorting out issues with, you know, three or four of the students who are experiencing difficulties. That's just par for the course. So if you can find a way to conduct a test call, engage your students in doing a test prior to getting on, 
you can hand, you know, head, head some of those off at the pass. Some of them are actually pretty sophisticated. I think a, a Adobe service will actually give you suggestions about things that you can do based on how your system is performing in the environment. And they just actually, they had a really nice update a couple of weeks ago that changed their whole connect interface. So something to think about. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I, what I run into, like, like you do as a faculty person, Students who come in on phones have a different interface, so they don't know where to find the kind of stuff that you can find if you're on a desktop computer. And folks who come in on Chromebooks, I've had issues with them not being able to get file transfers or not being able to find that portion on, on the class. So, so running a test helps, clear, helps at least get those things up front. So you're not in the middle of a class and the folks who are on this device can't get the files. So you need to stop and email it to them because it can get access to the email, but they can't pull it out of the, the, uh, the file in the chat line that is available for, for other folks. So um, tests are, are always great to run, um, realizing that it helps get some of the glitch out of it. The other thing that's the uncontrollable piece is you know, we have students who live in all different kinds of communities with all different kinds of levels of bandwidth available to them. And because of, you know, their own economy, they have what they can afford is is uh, also another issue. Eric and I were talking before the show and running speed tests and talking about what we have in terms of consumer purchases of Wi-Fi. But you're, you're often dealing with different students living in different communities who have different capabilities. So a speed test will tell them right away and tell you right away where they might need to get some assistance or help them sort out different ways of accessing the class. And, and now that you mentioned that, Marty, I was thinking about we have some students who have really bad broadband networks, um, but their mobile hotspots can hit speeds greater than they'd be able to get you know, through a, a, you know, a broadband provider, but you can test with that as well, right? So if you're using a mobile hotspot and you're trying to connect to something like Zoom, you can run those same types of speed tests. You can run those same types of test rooms to make sure that your connectivity meets requirements. The thing to keep in mind about mobile broadband, mobile hotspots rather, is that they can be uh, very up and down. That signal quality is not as consistent as what you're going to find with broadband provider, even though it may actually be a little faster. That signal waxes and wanes and is highly dependent on, on several different factors. So it can change during the course of a class meeting or something like that. I've had students who've been able to connect and it's just been spotty. You know, it'll be great for 10 or 15 minutes. The signal will drop off. It'll come back. You know, so it's not quite as reliable, but it is, it is another option. More and more mobile providers now are providing that hotspot service as a part of your plan, particularly those everything plans that are out there now will give you a hotspot. And you want to be careful of your data caps if you do have them, because mobile hotspot will run, you know, you'll run your data really, really quickly. So if you're not on an everything plan or an unlimited plan, um, you want to be really careful about how you use that. You know, from a faculty or university standpoint, trying to get technology support nowadays, given that in the time of COVID, we're all we're all online. There, you, Eric, you work with a uh, an online program in an online university, so you're probably familiar with all of the needs. But I work in a generally terrestrial uh, university, and we've all switched to online, or most all of us have switched to online teaching during this period of time. And as a result, we need a lot more technical help. Um, Our faculty generally need to rely on getting tech support 
and getting making sure they have good access to good equipment. And I'd like to say the university has been responsive to that and, and trying to help problem solve these. So we have a luxury that maybe our students don't have in terms of that kind of uh, support. But, you know, find out from your university what students can do in terms of their connectivity issues if there's someone that they can help them remotely. Because we know who they are as faculty. And we know that we've been, at least at my institution, we've been given, you know, the directive that if there's something we truly need, just let us know and we'll make it happen for you. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice, Marty. Uh, just the support options that are out there uh, are, are really contingent upon your university and your setting. You know, SNHU being an online institution is, you know, they're really focused on that. It's something they've done for some time, so they're pretty good at it. You know, at the same time, you know, we need to be aware of what we have, especially with our personal equipment in terms of warranties, support. You know, if, if you've bought some type of service package, you want to make sure you use those things. A lot of these things get sold, you know, you, you buy your computer from Best Buy and you get Geek Squad support and you forget about it. Um, if you have it, use it. It can be really beneficial to you. I, I went through a tech problem just the last couple of days. I bought a new monitor, a high resolution monitor that's now the center of three monitors that I have in my room. And it would flicker off and go dead. And I thought, oh no, I just got this. It was expensive. What am I going to do? I got it through one of the big box stores, well, actually through an online store, and got all worried about it. And, and it, was, it, was, it was confusing me because I could not get it to be consistent. And then finally, I traced it back to the fact that I had a power strip with five different things in it. And the one that I had for the monitor, I kind of had to squeeze in sideways. And it was simply that if I touched my table, the plug would jiggle, jiggle a little and the power would go off. And if I touched it again, it would jiggle back in and the power would go back on. So I'm well relieved, but it, I, I have since switched that plug to another outlet. But I, I'm well relieved. But you've, you've got to get that kind of support if you need it. We had a faculty member this morning in our faculty meeting who, for some reason, her computer can't do the audio and the video at the same time. So she's doing her audio by signing in on her phone and doing the video by using the, the camera on her computer. So she's having problems that she has to sort out because she can't teach a class that way. She can't do breakout rooms. Sure. Yeah. And I just want to point out the fact that, that my co-host of the Tech Savvy Professor just told a story uh, about how he did follow the advice of turning it on and turning it off again to see if that fixed the problem. <laughs> yeah, I turned it on and turned it off multiple times. I, however, didn't check the, the outlet that I had plugged it into. So, so is, is, is your device plugged in, sir? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you've had plenty of those calls, Eric. Yeah. And, and I mean, it really is, a learning experience to check the simple things first, because sometimes it can be those little things that help. Brings me to, to, to one last final point. When you're considering Wi-Fi and whether or not to, you know, hardline in, uh, a lot of the new devices, for example, your Chromebooks and, and things like that, your lightweight devices, there's no way to run, you know, a direct line from your modem to your computer. It just doesn't exist. It's set up for Wi-Fi. So distance, barriers, uh, all of that matters. 
your signal strength is going to be largely contingent upon how far your modem is away, uh, your router specifically, what's in between those things, what's being used by it. I am I have to run around my house before I teach my synchronous course at seven o'clock Monday and Wednesday night and turn off tablets, turn off iPhones, you know, because all the, uh, the kids have iPods, they have Android tablets. All of this is going to weigh it down. And there's seven of those between my computer and the, the router upstairs. Um, so those physical barriers are important. And there are extension devices that can help if you have weak spots in your home that you notice or your office happens to be in one. They do help, but sometimes they don't help as much as you'd hope. So the practical solutions are usually the best. The closer you can be to that Wi-Fi signal, the better. The, the higher the channel number, the better. So your 5.0 is going to run a lot better uh, a lot faster than your 2.4, which is an old old band connection. I had a couple of problems um, with my Wi-Fi. Uh, originally, it was on a service. When you said hardwired in, I thought this you're going to talk about the problem I had. But um, you're talking about an important part of you. You can't you can't hook everything directly into your to the internet. You have to go through some type of Wi-Fi to get it to your device quite often. One of the first problems I had was I was using a service that was basically based in a DSL version. And the DSL didn't run into the house. It kind of ran up to a spot outside of my house. And then my the, the router inside my house magically connected with that spot. And we were as the uh, as the person who installed it said, you're kind of at the end of the line. And I had all sorts of problems with Wi-Fi dropping out. Um, heavy use in the evening when everybody else was on it, I would have all sorts of dropouts. My son would be upstairs in the bedroom and he would start streaming YouTube and I would suddenly stop being able to work. So I wound up switching to a service that actually ran the cable into my house to my router. And that made it a lot better. Um, but I still live in a tri-level house. So another solution that you might consider with those barriers is I have a mesh network and that solved all of our, in my house, it solved all of our connectivity problems. So you can see those extenders that, that are mesh networks that essentially uh, it takes the takes the source Wi-Fi and it kind of follows you around the house. You place them. I have one on each three level. So uh, where if, if my wife and I are downstairs running iPad stuff, it will be pulled from that closest relay. If, we, if one of us comes upstairs, it will split it between the upstairs and the downstairs relay. Um, these are also really helpful if you have, I happen to have a steel beam that runs through basically our second floor and supports the garage and part of the house. And that causes all sorts of interference with cell phones and also with Wi-Fi spreading around the house. So, uh, and I've heard other people install them where they have brick wall separations from room to room and they've had problems getting Wi-Fi through the brick wall. So those are other considerations if you're looking for ways to strengthen signal in, in where you're working in your home. Yeah, and, and like we said, the simple things. Start there first, those physical barriers. You know, what's running on your computer in the background? Have you cleaned it lately? Uh, are you full uh, in terms of memory usage? There's a lot of things you can look at to really improve the performance of the devices that you have. And even the mesh networks that Marty's talking about, they're not overly expensive. 
but it's another potential solution if, if your home is is prohibitive. You know, ours is a, a bi-level, foot-level kind of home. So the, the basement is half in the ground, so to speak. And then, you know, the, the top floor is higher. Um, so we have connectivity issues in part of the house where the main wall runs. And we've had to put some extenders in the other side of the house just to, to pull that signal that direction. But yeah, I, I think that's what I have for this topic, Marty. Anything else you can think of? No, I think we covered it the best we could. Uh, But of course, if you have any questions, you can always contact us and we'll try and respond to them. And uh, if you have a question, you can call our question line 937-756-5140. And that will come through to us and we'll try and use that portion of the question. And uh, at the same time, try and answer that question next time on the next show that we can. Thanks for listening to the Tech Savvy Professor. You can look for us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iTunes. Our website is thepodtalk.net, where you'll find a bunch of other programs that are involved that we do and produce with the PodTalk Network. Besides the Tech Savvy Professor, the PodTalk Network currently hosts Grad School Deconstructed, the faculty meeting, Positively Ethical, Supervision Time, and Apply Topically. Find out more information about the current shows and the new ones coming at the PodTalk Network.